The bay was a very specific election commitment to transition out of netting in the bay, and that's what's been delivered. It it went to uh, the election in 2014. It was supported by both the major political parties in Victoria at that election commitment, and and we as an authority have implemented that commitment. So. You know, where we're at now is the delivery of what uh, you know was taken to the Victorian people, and you know, and come Friday will be delivered. Today on Dirty Linen, we are sticking with our series on Port Phillip Bay seafood. Uh, our guest today is Travis Dowling. Travis is the CEO of Victorian Fisheries Authority, so the statutory authority that oversees both recreational and commercial fishing on behalf of the Victorian people. Travis, so great to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny, and uh, just a shout out to all of your listeners, and it's wonderful to be joining you today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for shouting out to my awesome listeners. And this series around Port Phillip Bay seafood has certainly drawn a lot of interest. It's, um, I think, you know, fishing and seafood is an uh, issue that people are super passionate about. Um, as we get started, I'd love you just to give us a bit of a rundown on the VFA, what the what its role is, um, and what brings you to the world of fishing as well. Wonderful. So the Victorian Fisheries Authority was established in 2016. Uh, it was an election commitment by the government uh, of the day that was elected in 2014 to have a standalone uh, authority dedicated to commercial and recreational and aquaculture traditional owner fishing in Victoria. We're really proud of that, that we have a, a standalone dedicated fisheries authority. Historically, prior to that, fisheries within Victoria and around a lot of Australia was sort of housed within a department of, of agriculture. And that's good, but it, you know, there are a lot of synergies there, but also at different times, you know, you're sort of competing with, you know, cattle and wheat and, and sheep and all of the other agricultural providers in terms of trying to uh, highlight the benefits of the industry and what's going on in fishing. So, so since 2016, we've been a standalone authority and, uh, and, you know, we, report to a minister and, uh, you know, she is the minister for, um, for fishing and boating, which is, uh, you know, which is a wonderful title to have uh, with, a, with a minister within the Victorian government. Yeah, so Melissa Horn and um, Jala Pulford before that were the ministers for fishing. Um, and Travis, you've been with fisheries for quite a while. Like what brings you into the role? Do you have a particular interest in fishing or seafood or, yeah, um, an, a, really nice, a really nice flathead? <laughs> Yeah, no, Danny, oh, both. I, I really love uh, the fishing industry and uh, I love uh, getting out on the water and seeing how the industry operates. I think there's just wonderful potential within Victoria and Australia for for fresh seafood. Uh, people are really connected to what they eat these days. There are incredible health benefits from from the omega-3 that people get from fish and and, and having really well managed and sustainable fisheries and how they operate is really important to me. And uh, one of the things that we are really committed to in Victoria is to make fresh seafood available in all of our um, uh, our towns along the coast where people would go there hoping to to be able to have fresh fish come directly you know, off the boat and be able to buy that fish and, and eat that fish. And we're seeing that as well at the same time uh, you know, the development of our other fisheries like abalone and rock lobster and we've got fisheries in sea urchin and octopus and um, and our booming aquaculture fisheries that have for the first time overtaken our our um, sales figures and our tonnage figures for wild catch um, in things like uh, trout, uh, in salmon, in 
in Barramundi, in Abalone, all sorts of different uh, aquaculture that's now occurring across Victoria. So I guess, you know, you mentioned that you've broken off from agriculture. I guess one of the main differences between agriculture and seafood is that you don't really have recreational farmers. Um, You don't have people growing wheat for fun, whereas you do have people going out on a tinny and catching fish for fun. Um, Can you talk about the, I guess, whether you see them as competing or complementary worlds, these two groups that that do go fishing and enjoy the bounty that's out there? Yeah, I always like to stick with the premise that um, even though you might have people fishing in different methods, they believe in the same thing. And whether you're a recreational fisher, whether you're a wild catch fisher, whether you're a line caught fisher or you're using nets, it, it really is about ensuring that you've got sustainable fisheries and you've got healthy fisheries. And, um, you know, sadly, we, we have had um, areas of policy conflict between different users within the fisheries world. Um, whereas I like to say, look, for us, it's all about healthy waterways. It's about having, uh, you know, making sure the nutrients in those waterways are, are, are strong. That we've got um, healthy ecosystems. That we that we can enjoy the fishing that we have today, tomorrow, or even better. And so, rather than, you know, whether you're a recreational fisher or a commercial fisher, it's about, you know, uniting to protect our wonderful fisheries. Now, um, you know, unfortunately, there are times when there are policy positions that that have, you know, set parts of fisheries, you know, sectors against each other. Um, But I always like to try and bring people back to, at the end of the day, regardless of what fishery you are involved with, you want to see those fisheries um, as healthy as they possibly can be. Yeah. So given that there wasn't an environmental impetus to reduce commercial fishing in Port Phillip Bay, why is it happening? Yes, I mean it's not different to what's happened with that with any um, reallocation of, uh, of, I suppose, fishing uh, methods all along the Australian east coast seaboard. Um, what we've seen at particular points is communities indicate that they want uh, fisheries to operate differently in particular waterways. We've seen that in Victoria, in uh, Western Port. We've seen it in uh, Lake Malakuta. Uh, we've seen it in Lake Tyres and the Gippsland Lakes, and you know we will see it now in Port Phillip Bay, and you know, and that really is it comes down to uh, uh, you know people wanting to manage those fisheries differently and to and, and lobbying on that behalf. So you know there there has been some consistency to that, but at the same time, there's also been a growth in other fisheries, uh, and it's just the changing nature of fisheries and and how they'll continue to change and adapt depending upon what the community want to prioritise. Well, when you say community, you're talking about a small minority of people in Victoria who are better organised than, for example, people who simply like to eat seafood but not go and catch it. So why has um, the government and, I guess, fisheries developed policies in turn to... um, look after the very narrow and particular interests of a small group of Victorians? Yeah, that's a particular view, but I, I don't actually um, accept that view or support that view. In Victoria, you know, there was 59,000 tonnes of seafood that comes through Victoria markets or is um, yeah, utilised actively each year in Victoria. Um, when there are changes in how some of our bays and inlets are operated or some of our fisheries operate, um, it's not necessarily suggesting that there will be overall 
less fish available because at the same time you have increases in some other fisheries, uh, you know, whether it's the aquaculture sector or new and developing wild catch fisheries. So you might have, you know, some changes in some of the management arrangements for some fisheries, but I don't think that you can say that it's about um, in any way reducing the overall availability of fresh seafood for Victorians. It, it's it's changing what's occurring in particular fisheries, and that's what we're seeing in Port Phillip Bay. Yeah, but that's not really – that wasn't really my question. It's like why are all Victorians losing access to the seafood out of Port Phillip Bay? Um because a small group of people have don't want to share it. It doesn't like uh, perhaps I don't want farmed Murray cod. Perhaps the tonnage is the same, but perhaps I'm really sad about losing access to King George Whiting out of the bay on my doorstep. Sure, look, uh, and absolutely, that's a um, that that's a view that some people may have, Danny. But I will make the point that not all Victorians were eating fresh seafood out of Port Phillip Bay that Port Phillip Bay had a limit on the amount of seafood that was coming out and not all of it was being sold or consumed in Victoria or available to all Victorians. So to suggest that all Victorians are now missing out on something is, I think, slightly misleading. Um, What we now have is that we have uh, a fishery that will transition to a line caught fishery and will continue to have a snapper line caught component to that fishery. And we'll have uh, a multitude of other uh, available seafood that will be there, continue to be there for Victorians who will continue to access it. So uh, it's not like come Friday this week when netting will finish in the bay that Victorians will not have access to fresh seafood. Yeah, but those line court limits are going to be much, they're reduced. Um I mean, the, the the ban on net fishing in Port Phillip Bay and the reductions in the quotas has been tied to the Target 1 million program to to increase um, the number of people who are fishing recreationally. How is that going? How many recreational fishing licences um, have been issued? Yeah, so uh, Target 1 million is a government election commitment to get more Victorians fishing more often, and we've certainly been committed to delivering on that and that's been through a range of different activities, whether it's moving towards 10 million fish being stocked, uh, making all boat ramps free across Port Phillip Bay, and you know things like habitat improvement elsewhere. And look, I understand there are some people out there, out there that will say, well, hang on, but license sales are only around 300,000 or they were 270,000 or 250,000. They've certainly bounced around a bit because of what's occurred in the last couple of years with COVID. But ultimately, the policy is about trying to get more Victorians out fishing. It's good for mental health. It's good for people's physical health. And, you know, we think we've been very successful in achieving it in that regard and getting more Victorians out there through Vic Fish Kids programs and others. Uh, and we'll continue to try and do that. So don't you think it would be possible to increase um, fishing in the community and get those benefits that you speak about, but also have commercial fishing in, in the bay as well? Well, certainly um, we, we do have commercial fishing in the bay and we'll continue to have commercial fishing in the bay with the with the line caught snapper fishery. And across the state, we've been strongly advocating for growth in our commercial fisheries. And we have a very strong relationship with many in the sector in terms of opportunities to continue to build and grow on our commercial fisheries. So they're not mutually exclusive. However, the bay was a very specific election commitment to transition out of netting in the bay. And that's what's been delivered. It it went to uh, the election in 2014. It was supported by 
both the major political parties in Victoria at that election commitment and and we as an authority have implemented that commitment. So, you know, where we're at now is the delivery of what, uh, you know, was taken to the Victorian people and, you know, and come Friday will be delivered, ensuring, though, that we'll, there will continue to be a lion caught snapper fishery in the bay. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, it just looks like the the wreck fishers are a more organised lobby group than seafood eaters such as myself. So, yeah, sure, that's perhaps that's on us. But um, it seems like uh, access to this resource uh, f f that should be available to all Victorians is being made available to fewer people than it was in the past. Danny, I just on that, I suppose you could, and I completely understand your viewpoint and how you respond to that. But I will also point out that. Um, there was very similar controversy when Malakuta was, the netting was removed from Malakuta and when the netting was removed from Lake Tyres. And, and also when I was growing up, I used to f go up to the, the Golden River and the Murray River and fish those rivers. And they, at that time, had significant commercial netting that was occurring for Murray cod and other species uh, across those rivers. Now, if you were to say tomorrow that you're going to reintroduce large-scale commercial netting in those waterways, then I think there would be really significant community um, concern about that. So, you know, some of these fisheries, you know, it, there is a transition in terms of how the community wants to utilise them, but I don't, I don't uh, support the premise that there's uh, not going to be fresh seafood or not is fresh seafood available to Victorian consumers as a result of this outcome. Sure, there's a reallocation in Port Phillip Bay, but there are many other sources of fresh seafood available in Victoria. Let's talk about sardines because I suppose that's something that we are losing from the, Mel the Melbourne area um, that's not a species that's targeted by wreck fishers and as is now, you know, apparently the wreck fishers, you know, argued for this um, removal of sardine net fishing and now they don't even want it anymore. Uh, can you just explain the logic behind removing sardine fishing from Port Phillip Bay? Sure. So there has been some commentary recently about the views of recreational fishers on that. Oh, my understanding quite clearly, and from what I'm saying, is that they are fish the peak body uh, continue to be 100% uh, adamant that uh, the netting transition in its entirety uh, should and needs to occur and will occur, and many other stakeholders. And now, I understand there have been some views put forward by some, but I don't necessarily think that you can say that wreck fishers have now decided that they don't want to see the end of um, the netting for sardines in Port Phillip Bay. I think you can say that that has been suggested by some, but certainly it's not the um, overwhelming majority of, of uh, recreational fishers based on what we are seeing um, presented to us. So uh, for many of your listeners will be really aware of that sardine fishery and uh, having listened to your podcast for the, for the last you know, few weeks um, as it relates to it, where we're at at the moment will be that you know that fisher or the last remaining fisher who's catching sardines has been aware for the last eight years that that um, that will come to an end. Um, there was the opportunity for that person to nominate to be part of the line court fishery moving forward. Chose not to. And that's up to them. Uh, but in terms of the availability of sardines, there will continue to be significant numbers of sardines, much more than was available. Uh, through Port Phillip Bay, available through our fisheries from Lakes Entrance that are still Victorian, they're still sardines, and they're still going to be sold fresh into cafes and restaurants. Don't you think, like, as 
well, okay, I'll say I'll speak for myself as a Melbourne person, and I know that there's a sustainable resource out there in the bay of and sardines are a, f- a fish that you want to eat really fresh, not three days later. Like, what is the don't like? Let's not talk about. Let's not use like governmenty words like reallocation of resources. Let's just talk about like what's sensible about local sustainable seafood that to serve a city that is so proud of its food. Like, I just. Uh, yeah, what is the logic? Sure. I, not too many people would suggest that I use too many government words. So I, I probably... I probably <laughs> just, just that one. No, I probably, That's one. I probably get bashed up too much for uh, speaking way too plainly and simply, and uh, some of your listeners, I'm sure, will pick that up. I get exactly what you're saying. I, I, I'd make this point, though, that um, the sardines that are coming out of Lake's entrance uh, that are cared for... Um, sent to market directly and, you know, people aren't waiting three days to um, to get those sardines because they lose value in terms of the longer that you wait and they lose that freshness. And the restaurants that want those um, sardines, they, they want them fresh. They want to be able to eat them straight away. And it's the same with the corner inlet fisheries where we've now got people in the corner inlet fisheries selling directly into markets. You know, they're, they are, they're, they're they're really handling their fish well. They're packing them in ice slurries. They're um, getting them in styrofoam boxes and getting them into restaurants. And you know, within within you know, eight to ten hours of those fish coming out of the water, and you know, we know that that's occurring with some of the catch out of Lake's entrance. So, I understand there is a sadness about seeing that transition from Port Phillip Bay. Uh, but will you be able to get fresh sardines in Victoria that are Victorian caught and that are coming to your table fresh? Yes. Will they travel four hours rather than an hour? Or yes, but still, will they be fresh? Absolutely. So, um, I, and this frustration, this idea, this this frustration. What what were these sardines hurting? Why you know anglers don't necessarily target sardines. So why couldn't have they been left in there? You know, without you know, I suppose going too deep into what people's thinking was behind the policy. The policy was to remove all netting. Sardines are a, a species that are caught in net, so that the implementation of the policy picks that up. But certainly some wreck fishers have also indicated that they believe that maintaining those large populations of sardines within the bay are what supports a lot of the large game fishing and pelagic species and other species in the bay, such as the terrific snapper run that we now enjoy, the, the kingfish that are out there, the mulloway, the, the, the flathead, all the rest of these larger species that are targeted, having that really significant body of, uh, of sardines and pilchards in the bay contributes to the health of these other larger bodied species. Well, I would say it's perfectly possible to manage catch limits so that there's still an abundance of sardines for those larger fish to eat, but th- there's also the opportunity to catch them for people who want to eat them locally. And I find it really frustrating that you don't want to look too deep into the reasons that the policy was implemented in the first place, um, but and as though it's this inexorable thing that the wheels just grind and we can't do anything about it. I just, it's... Um, uh, it just seems really nonsensical. Oh, look, I suppose I'm happy to to speculate on where the policy might have come from, but um, in the end of the day, that will be speculation because uh, you know, political parties of all flavours uh, will develop policies heading into elections, whether that's Greens, Nats, like Labor, you know, you know, the United Australia Party, they will develop their policies. And I will say in a couple of other areas outside of net fishing in Port Phillip Bay, 
we have had stakeholder groups that have been quite upset about why they weren't consulted before particular policies uh, came in. And, you know, it is difficult as a government agency to explain, well, we, uh, you know, we're charged with implementing the delivery of those policies from the government that's elected of the day. Uh, we, you know, we're not uh, part of the you know, creation of those policies. That's, uh, that's up to those political parties. Mm, well, as you know, Melissa Horn won't talk to me. Uh, well, no, I'm speaking to you as the as the CEO of the Victorian Fisheries Authority, and I suppose I've got the uh, the best level of information in terms of the delivery, delivery, the implementation of the policy. Uh, but in fairness to the minister, um, you know, this she wasn't the minister at the time when this these policies were created. So um, there may have been other people that were involved. Yeah, definitely there were, but I guess she's responsible for it now. Um, so it, are recreational fishers more valuable to the government than commercial fishers simply because there are more of them and apparently they're a voting block? Oh, well, again, I can't speak because I'm not a politician. <laughs> I'm a public servant, but I will say that's certainly not the case in any way in terms of how we divide our resources and how we support our fisheries, um, our compliance efforts, our science efforts, our management and policy. Um, you know, literally we spend, you know, with, without breaking it down, but a considerable amount of time, you know, assisting all of our commercial fisheries in continuing to operate. But again, Danny, and I'll keep coming back to it without wanting to sound like a public servant or bureaucrat, like just speaking plainly to, you know, Victorian consumers and people who like fish and fishing, you know, like success for us looks like you being able to go to Mallacoota, to Portland, to Port Ferry, to Warrnambool, wherever you go, that you can buy fresh locally caught fish, that you're not walking into a fish and chip shop or you're not walking into a fishmonger there and buying only Tassie salmon or Nile perch or, you know, um, New Zealand blue grenadier that you can buy fresh fish straight off the boat and have that experience and you haven't had that for the last 10 years 20 years 30 years in Victoria and we're trying to change that and move that around we're trying to develop new fisheries provide higher value on the fisheries that we've got but give people that experience and you now some of that experience might be that the people are eating other species that they weren't eating a few years ago that they're getting into garfish and enjoying what those you know what they are girded and leather jacket and salmon and all these other species that can be caught uh, and sold directly off the boat and give people that fresh fish experience. Yeah, so this is the fresh from the boat sales program. So it's like small scale commercial fishes or there might be rec, rec fishes that have got a license to sell on a small scale commercially. Is that that's what you're talking about? Yeah, at the moment we are, we've limited it to people that are existing commercial fishes. So if your listeners, yeah, if your listeners will think about people that are maybe rock lobster fishes or abalone fishes or others, they've got a lot of their prime safe approvals already. Um, and it's we look at for areas where they're not competing with other existing uh, fishes. And where you know, say you've got you know uh, twenty or thirty rock lobster pots, and you've dropped them, and you're waiting for lobster to walk into them, that you can go and do some fishing. And then when you come back, there's a there's a company uh, or there's a, a a person fishing out of Apollo Bay who now ten o'clock every Saturday morning pulls the boat up in Apollo Bay and sells fresh from ice lorries what he's caught. Um, you know, in the last few days off that boat while his pots have been soaking and that's becoming really, really popular as is another uh, fresh fish van just on the foreshore at Malakuta doing exactly the same. And we're trying to get that running everywhere so that when you go to a Victorian coastal town, you get to buy fresh locally caught fish.
Mm. I mean, that does sound lovely and it's a really romantic idea to be able to drive along the coast and eat local seafood. I suppose that I, um, I think realistically most people are buying their fish from in the cities, in the fish shops and, and the markets. And, uh, yeah, it'd be great to think that there was um, those species going there as well. Um, so just in terms um, of... Uh, the snapper fishing in Port Phillip Bay or the line fishing that will be retained in the bay. What, what Seafood Industry Victoria is concerned about is that the reduction in the quotas means that those businesses aren't commercially viable. What do you think about that? Yeah, I've got a different view to that. I think that they are incredibly viable and that the sky's the limit for those licences in terms of the value of the catch that they have. Again, it, you know, it really comes down to how they uh, want to sell that catch and how they want to market that catch. But if we're talking about 88 tonnes of snapper uh, and then, you know, there is um, bycatch as well of flathead and gummy shark, um, you know, that you know, is an addition to that, that that can be marketed, then some of these fishers have been selling their, uh, their, you know, their catch previously for, you know, for $10 a kilo for... Um, for snapper, where it could retail for twenty to thirty dollars a kilo, selling directly to consumers or directly into uh, the retail market, uh, and so I think there's a wonderful opportunity for each of those fishers to experience a little different way of, of selling their fish and having that connection to to their customers, but also of you know realizing a really strong value and a really strong return out of those licenses. Mm, so I suppose you're saying to put a premium on it, but I think one of the things that people are particularly sad about with the sardines is that they're a very affordable fish that goes to a lot of, you know, culturally diverse communities around the city. Um, they're sold um, at a very affordable price. Uh, and I mean, you know, I've, I love the fish from Corner Inlet, like it's such a privilege to eat it, but it is for the most part a premium product. It's not necessarily an everyday fish for that affordable protein for, you know, families throughout the city. Um, and it would be a shame to think that those other species were for those fishes to survive that that was the direction that they needed to go in oh, no look um I, I suppose it's going back to your original question of will they have a um a viable and affordable uh business model and i'm suggesting yes they will the second point though about do we want to have affordable fish available to consumers absolutely and that's exactly where we're working to and some of the fishes that have historically sold some of their species for uh with no disrespect to these industries but low value pet food or other things like that to to actually treat some of those uh the fish and particularly pilchards and so forth um as a as a value-added product and to sell those at an affordable price but you know treat them well in terms of ice lorries and getting them to market and restaurants quick we'll still have that affordable protein and that affordable seafood available. Again, it's like the corner inlet species you speak about. It's not coming from, um, you know, from half an hour out of the bay. It's coming from two or three hours away, but treated well, uh, it will still retain that freshness and you'll still have that, um, you know, that affordable uh, quality seafood available to you. Yeah, I appreciate that you're a statutory authority um, applying government policy, uh, but do you think that there is scope for reversing or amending some of the re some of the regulations that are coming in currently? Look, it's not it's not up to me to talk about where government policy might go in the future. You know, from a uh, fisheries authority point of view, you know, we deliver the policy of the government of the day, whichever government that may be. So, you know, who, who knows what different policies different um, governments may have. 
But I will bring you back to the fact there's been a number of different governments that have have been in power in Victoria since uh, Mallacoota netting was bought out, um, since the netting was bought out of, uh, of our inland rivers. There hasn't been a reversal in the policy in relation to that netting. So being removed in those waterways. So, you know, again, it's up to each government what they do, but certainly we haven't seen historical reversal of, uh, of some of those changes. So what do you see overall as the future for Victorian fisheries? Do you think are we, what, where, what's the trajectory and what's the, where does the balance lie between commercial and recreational interests? Well, as much as it'll be hard for some of your listeners to hear, I think there is a, a real coming together in the future with our commercial and uh, recreational fishers. I think it's starting already, and I'm seeing that through Corner Inlet. We're seeing it through line court permits. I think there is a wonderful opportunity in terms of not just you know snapper and whiting and calamari and how they're sold and how they're made available, but we've seen in the pallets and you touched on earlier cultural diversity in Victoria now people um, have different values on different species and so whereas we weren't eating 15 years ago calamari in Victoria or 20 years ago they're a bait species they're now a high quality table species we you know. We have this incredible opportunity with a lot of our, um, particularly our coastal and offshore fisheries, to really start exploring some of the wonderful seafood that at the moment is passed over for some of these other species. So I, I'm really optimistic in the next you know, five to ten years in Victoria, we will have a really strong availability of fresh local caught seafood uh, sold not just in those coastal towns, but made available. And Danny, with all of your influence and all of your support, if you could try and get Victorian supermarkets, uh, particularly the larger chains, to um, you know to look at some of our fisheries and particularly, and also some of our aquaculture producers, um, you know, it's very, very, very important to us that people have that choice, whether they're in a uh, Woolies or a Coles or an IGA, to buy fresh, locally sourced Victorian seafood. What do you reckon's the sleeper species that people should be turning to? Oh, I think Australian salmon by a mile is, uh, you know, is something that is at the moment completely underrated. It is really plentiful. It's really easily available. Um, it's a coarse, bloody fish, and at times it can sell cheaper than a European carp at some of our markets. But it is a, a you know, in times to come, once if people have really understood how to prepare them well and how to cook them well. It, you know, it's prolific. It will be a really wonderful table fish. But at the same time, and people have already hooked on to things like garfish and we're seeing what's happening with, uh, with leather jackets and luderick and um, trevally, all of these other species that are quite, um, you know, quite uh, in large numbers along our coast but just aren't being actively targeted or aren't being actively sold. Uh, once, you know, people really activate onto those species, we're going to have a... Um, I think a continual evolution of, uh, of seafood consumption in Victoria, which is a really fantastic thing. Uh, okay, Travis. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show to share your perspective. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you think is important to say? No, just, uh, you know, uh, congratulations to you, uh, Danny, for taking on, uh, you know, the discussion on this topic. It is an important policy topic and it's important for the livelihood of uh, a lot of people out there that um, that work in the sector, you know, across both the sectors and, you know, I wish you the very best and, uh, you, know, all, you know, to all of your listeners out there, keep eating Victorian seafood and keep supporting Victorian seafood. Okay. Thanks so much for your time, Travis. Appreciate it. Thanks, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. 
we air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.